The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. So far amidst this pandemic, we have covered how it's affecting education, how it's affecting food production, and the differences between how it's affected American and Israeli communities. This week, we are looking at its effects on halacha, and not just the current effects we have seen, such as Minyan and Shiva, but what long-lasting effects this may have on halachos after we come out of the pandemic. Now, there are many Rabbanim who have been thinking about these shilas, and of course, you may want to consult your own posik for a particular shila you may have. But we thought we'd ask someone whose job it is to think about these effects. Hi, I'm Rabbi Mark Dratch. I am the Executive Vice President of the Rabbinical Council of America. Rabbi Dratch and I will be diving into a number of halachic areas, including the aforementioned minion, how we deal with missing leaning for a number of weeks, and yes, the future of kitniot. I do acknowledge that many of these probably deserve a lot more discussion than we are allotting them for now, but this should just give you a taste of what is to come once COVID has passed. One more thing before we begin. We were having some technical difficulty with this episode, and as a result, some of the audio is a little distorted, and we do apologize for that, but the information is there and certainly valuable. Rabbi Dratch, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a very hectic time in the world, but I appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to join us and talk about some of the prevailing issues in halacha that the coronavirus has faced with us. Thank you for your invitation. I'm excited to speak with you. All right. So I'm just going to jump right into it. We're going to go through a, a couple of different areas of halacha and um, how the coronavirus has affected us and where we are moving forward. So I, I want to start with the day-to-day aspects. Obviously, People aren't davening with a minion. People aren't able to say Kaddish necessarily. People aren't having shiva houses. People are having issues with weddings and brises and all sorts of different uh, ritualistic things. So I was wondering, where do you stand? Do you see that the the biggest issue of day-to-day changes are in our society right now? Sure. Thank you very much. I, I just want to make one comment before we begin. And that is, uh, in our conversation today, I'm not speaking on behalf of the RCA, the Rabbinical Council, and uh, any question that a person has really should be discussed with his or her own rabbi uh, for, for a final determination. But I'm happy to speak with you about the experiences that I've had in dealing with the rabbis of the RCA in conversations with Rabbi Herschel Schachter and Rabbi Mordechai Willig and other poskim uh, with whom we have shared many of these, many of these questions. Um, Look, we're in a very, very difficult time. There's a sakana, there's a real danger out there. We're at a time of a, a, uh, not just an epidemic, but a pandemic, people's lives are are at stake. And therefore, the halachic principle that pikuach nefesh, that saving a life and and, and life in general is the highest, one of the highest principles of of Judaism, and almost any mitzvah in the Torah, except for three, major prohibitions is pushed aside in the face of, 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 of a threat to life. Uh, and therefore, everything that we say has to be taken with that kind, uh, with that kind of understanding. The Gemara says that, um, that danger is, uh, is more important than overrides ritual prohibition in, in most cases. Now, certainly, you have to be an expert in halacha to know how, how to apply that and what that means. Uh, but um, these are the things which are, which are guiding us. So, for example, when it comes to the question of minion, and it's really very encouraging in many ways that people have this great desire to want to dive in with a minion and to want to go to shul and be with, and, and be with others, but uh, but certainly that desire to 
daven in a minion, uh, to say Kaddish, to hear repetition of the Shemana Esrei, uh, Kaddish and Baruch and those things pale in comparison to, um, to, to, to a threat to life. And therefore, it, uh, it seems to me and to the, the post game that I've cited before, that it is prohibited. It's us, sir. It's, it's actually prohibited today uh, to go out of your way and, and, and look for a minion. Certainly, when 10 people are in the same room, but even if people are going to be uh, observing social distancing outside, it, such a thing would be would be prohibited uh, because um, for two reasons. One is that people aren't always careful. And uh, I've had reports of people davening six feet apart from each other. And then after the minion is over, gathering together and socializing, which really <laughs> does, undoes the whole thing. And uh, even um, there have been reports of people with balconies in, in apartment complexes that could see each other from distances um, davening with a minion, each person on their own on their own porch, and even something like that would be would be prohibited. A minion requires ten men in the same in the same room. Once you have that, others may be able to be counted if they're in the other room on the other side of the door or elsewhere, or even um, according to many opinions, if they uh, hook in through uh, the internet uh, through Zoom or, or something uh, to be able to answer. And uh, or to be considered as davening tefillah b'tzibur as, as uh, the prayer is part of the community, but they can't be counted as part of the, the original part of the community. They can't constitute the initial minion. So let's say you have an apartment building in let, let, let's make, make it make it easy in Eretz apartment building, and in one of the apartments there's a family that has ten men who live there, and over the age of bar mitzvah. They can technically, I guess, go out on their porch, make their own meeting. They're quarantined or they're they're social isolated together already. And then other people around that complex can probably partake in that in that minion. Right. If that were the case, if you had a, a house in which people were in the house and permitted to be there with each other, or living with each other and you have a minion, they can certainly have their own minion. Somebody else who um, who sees them or from even from a distance or would hook in through Zoom or Skype or, or something else, certainly participate in, in that minion. The person who's zooming in would not be able to say Kaddish on his own end because okay. people are not able to respond, but they could certainly respond appropriately to Kaddish and Kedusha. And I guess the same thing would be true if they happen to have like a microphone with amps and, and, and broadcasting it out to a courtyard. Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. Okay. I would imagine so. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump a little bit because we're, we're, I'll get to Pesach a little bit later. A lot of shuls are doing a, a Zoom-type minion and, and the, the way that you described it right now, uh, where people are logging in and, and, and davening kind of together but kind of separate. Uh, so firstly, if there's a, a, a shul in, in a different time zone that does that, and I log in, and for me it's, it's Shacharis, and for them it's Mincha, is that okay? Is that is that any different than just me logging into a chakras minion? How does that work? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any problem with that per se. Um, the people who are skyping in uh, don't have are not constituting a minion, and in many ways, uh, the, the benefit of that is for people to feel connected, to join their tefillah together. Look, I'm not sitting in Shemayim with a uh, you know. With, who's with a minion, not a minion or something. But if it, it certainly if it increases a person's uh, kavana, a person's intent, a spirituality, a feeling of connectedness to, to others, then I think there's certainly value in that. We're now in a situation of, of an extreme case. Uh, this has obviously never happened before and hopefully will never happen again. Um, but I'm curious about how something like this could affect future halakhic ramifications. So you, you, you mentioned that 
shuls are not permitted to be open for, uh, per se uh, right now. People can't go daven with their regularly scheduled minyanim, um, but there are places that have these Zoom or Skype minyanim that are going on. I'm curious about in the future, you have a case where, let's say, there is an individual who unfortunately has cancer and they can't go to shul for fear of being infected. They're going through treatments. Their immune system is down. So the shul decides that instead of sending a lot of uh, nine other people to his house to make a minion, they say, maybe it's, it is better for you to be socially distanced and we're going to have a, a portal open for you to zoom in to our minion. Is that something that you could see cropping up further down the road? Sure. First, I want to one one caveat before answering the question, and that is one of the concerns that that rabbis have is because uh, you know we're bending over backwards to find accommodations, and in many cases relying on shat hadchak, emergency, the, the the exigencies of the emergency situation to rely upon leniencies uh, that are now becoming widespread, and people are knowing about them. That we want to make sure that. We go with that when things return to normal in the world, that halacha returns to normal as well. Right. And we understand that there's such a thing as l'chadchila, an ideal way of observing the law, b'dyeved, an ex post facto way, and the shadachak, an emergency way. And that the, the shadachak, that the emergency doesn't become the l'chadchila, doesn't become the ideal. That being said, um, even before corona, the coronavirus appeared, there were two votes from very uh, significant posts talking about these virtual minyanim and having people participate in that way. Um, and I, I think if some, that, that this is something good that may be able to come out of, of this, that, um, that we understand the importance of connectedness and that if there's a regular minion in the shul and a person can't, can't go, that maybe this is a way of including that person in, uh, in Tefillah B'Tzibor. Um, I think one of the fears that we, we actually discussed this long before Corona, and one of the fears that we had of um, making it popular is that this may then become an excuse for people not to go to shul and not to go to minion who otherwise should. So I think right. we have to, we, to know that it's there is a wonderful thing. Um, and we have to be careful how it is, how it is applied. I'll just give you an interesting comment. A friend of mine, I have a friend now in his, in his sixties, born with cerebral palsy, uh, who over, who the last uh, short while has been unable to, to walk even as he walked difficultly before he's really, he's really homebound now. And for him, he said that the past couple of weeks, with all the uh, lectures online, the shiurim online, the programs online, has really opened up a world to him that had previously been closed. And uh, he's really enjoying that kind of access. And I think that if we're going to become sensitive to the needs of individuals, this may be a, a good lesson for us. Yeah, I do think that we're going to see a lot more of those types of, of shiurim happening. Um, I, I think you'll end up seeing a, a lot of shiurim that go on on a regular basis that happen in a shul, in a school, will also be able to be broadcast online. For instance, people who work late aren't able to go. But if you're broadcasting it, maybe they can catch it on their commute home uh, now that we all have these devices that allow us to do this. So you plug in your headphones, you sit on the train, and you watch a shir that you're not otherwise able to go to. It's not just, in that case, I feel like it's not just for cholim, it's for, it's for everybody that just can't make it to a shir. But you're right, in terms of how this is going to affect halakhic ramifications in the future. We have to make sure that it stays as just an extraordinary circumstance and not the, the norm. Um, my fear, when I, when I brought up the example of 
of uh, a hola that doesn't that can't go to school to shul. If the shul opens up a minion portal, where do you draw the line? Okay, somebody's on vacation and they they're in they're in some remote location without a minion. Are they allowed to? Someone who's on a business trip. It's not. I didn't choose to go on the on the trip. I was I was I was forced to. So it's kind of that. Where do you draw that line? And I think that's something that the the uh, the rabbinic authorities are going to have to grapple with after this whole situation finishes. Sure, most certainly. I'll just say uh, my personal experience at the RCA is we now have our executive committee meetings on Zoom. And it's a wonderful thing because it enables people in California and in Toronto and in uh, South Florida and in Texas to be part of our executive committee and to participate. Problem is, once we open that up, person who lives, uh, our office is 27th and 7th in, in Manhattan. I have people on the east side and the west side of Manhattan who are no longer coming into the office for a meeting. They're, they're, they're zooming in as well. And as a result, you lose the face-to-face. -face. You lose right. that right. The, 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 the social capital that is built up when people can sit and talk to each other and get to know each other in a personal way. So it's funny because I think that the world in general is moving that direction with, with the social networking aspect of it. And now it's not just the RCA, obviously it's all businesses are all, all of my meetings for work are happening on, on a, on a zoom call or on go to meeting. They're all happening that way. And people are like, Oh, we can just do this all the time. But that's not true. You can't do it all the time. I, I've had this discussion with a number of people. You can't. Yes. On occasion, you can have these types of meetings when it's, when it's needed, when, when people are unable to get together, but you do lose a lot by not having people there. My, my, my shul, which is actually our shul, we had our uh, board meeting last night. More people showed up to that board meeting on, on, uh, on a Zoom call than have, a, than have shown up to a regularly scheduled board meeting in years, maybe. Right. Um, so, yeah, that is something that, that, is, that is happening. Um, before we go to Pesach, is there any other areas that you want to cover? On the regular basis, right? There are so I just wanted to assure people who are listening and may have concerns about Kaddish, because one of the calls and emails that I think rabbis are getting all the time is, um, "I have a yard site, or in the twelve months for my parent, or something." And what do we do about Kaddish and making arrangements for other people to say Kaddish when there were other minyanim that were uh, that, that, that were going on? I mean, I had that experience as well. The first Shabbos that uh, our shul was closed a couple of weeks ago was the yard site for my wife. It was her seventh yard site, and we weren't able to say Kaddish. Um, but, you know, Kaddish is not a magic formula. And the, the idea really is to show respect and to give, and to give respect uh, to the person's neshama, to the person's soul, to the person who is deceased. And every, anything that is done in memory of that person also has, also has a benefit. So one can learn, if one is able to learn Mishnah, if one is able to do some kind of act of kindness, um, my Late wife's aunt passed away. Her first yard site was, uh, was just last week. Um, and so in addition to learning in her memory, we had the family on our WhatsApp group post pictures of her. There are dozens and dozens of pictures of her with nieces and nephews and great nieces and great nephews, a way of, a way of, a way of, commemorating, way of commemorating her. And I think that you know, we need to refocus our, our understanding of what significant, um, of what significant uh, expressions Religious expressions and spirit, spiritual expressions are, and they're and they're and they're and they're very valuable. I don't, I can't imagine a God up in heaven who's saying that somehow my 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 loved one's soul will not, I don't know, receive some kind of benefit because I didn't go to shul because of the corona epidemic. Yeah, I actually recently <laughs> called into a, a virtual shloshim, um, no kaddish, but they made the whole siyum. Everything yeah. else was there, and and yeah, it's it's, it's very difficult. Um, 
also a, a lot of a lot of that additionally with uh, there are people passing away unfortunately not only from coronavirus but from other causes and and the shiva is is very different now you you can, you don't have that that community coming together to to help assist with that a few a few episodes ago maybe uh, the is the last normal episode I did was actually with a non-Jewish person named uh, Jeff who works in an entirely from environment or mostly from environment and he was telling us about what he's experienced, what he's what he's seen about our community from the outside. And he said one of the nice things is that when people go through something in our community, everybody comes together. He doesn't see that in other communities that he's a part of, um, where we, we 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 all band together, we all get around and, and in support. And those people that are that are unfortunately sitting Shiva these days don't have that. So it's another aspect of the community that we're losing with this whole situation. So I want to move on to Pesach. Now uh, I'm sure you're aware a few uh, maybe a week ago before recording, uh, or two weeks ago, there was a big sock that came down from a bunch of Sephardi poskim, um, I think mostly in uh, Northern Africa area, uh, but also elsewhere, uh, about having a Zoom Seder. Uh, now, I also know that well before that, you sent out, and I'm getting it on my phone right now, a letter uh, from Rav Schechter, uh, where he explains... Uh, when something like that is permitted uh, and when something like that is prohibited. So I want to give you the op- opportunity to talk about those two things, the, both both the Pesach from Roshachter, the Pesach from the, the, the Sephardish community, and where they differ. Sure. So um, with regard to that Pesach from, the, from, the, from those Sephardic rabbis, three of whom retracted within 24 hours of it being publicized, saying that it was misrepresented and they had never agreed to it in the first place, um, that is not something which is um, accepted by the overwhelming majority of, um, of, of rabbinic leaders. The use of technology on Shabbos or on Yantif is a very complicated, um, very complicated issue. Uh, from the time that electricity was first discovered and um, light bulbs and other kinds of things that you have, it, 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 it's an amazing um, uh, treasure of halachic material and rabbinic response are written to those types of things. And there are many different opinions as to what the issues, what the prohibitions might be, what is what is permitted, what is uh, what is prohibited with regard to that. But there is almost universal consensus that initiating um, uh, you know, electro- electronics on, on Shabbos or Yontif is, uh, is problematic. And making use of something like Zoom because of the camera uh, that, that's involved or because of the human interaction uh, involved with that, that may be problematic as well. So um, except I, I know of no rabbis, even many in the Sephardic community with, with whom I've had conversations, that support that blanket uh, heter, that blanket permission that was given. When I spoke with Rav Shachter about this originally, the question was about something else. Uh, and that is the question, the question of sakana, of danger question of pikuach nefesh, of saving a life. And we know, especially this year, it's a three-day yantif. The first seder is Wednesday night, you have all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Shabbos, for a person to be alone for 72 hours, who is otherwise vulnerable because of uh, psychiatric issues that they may have, uh, there may be a real question of pikuach nefesh or preventing uh, something, something, dangerous, uh, something dangerous from happening. Loneliness can sometimes have um, a very important, uh, very significant uh, impact on a person's emotional well-being, and therefore on his physical, his or her physical well-being as well. And therefore, Rav Schechter said, in limited circumstances, where a rabbi, along with the mental health professional, along with a physician, along with the person involved, feels that it is 
absolutely necessary in order to protect the person's physical well-being or, uh, or, or mental well-being uh, that we would, could, per, could permit something like a telephone call or, or, or Skype, perhaps. Um, he, was a little bit more lenient if a person, an elderly person was is alone for that, for that time, uh, having no human interaction whatsoever, um, that maybe leaving the radio on or a television on in, in, in a separate room um, and not being adjusted and nothing being changed on it might be an answer for somebody for whom loneliness may be, may be overwhelming. The truth is that for most people who live in some kind of community, um, people, their neighbors or family that live near them should be aware of it and should go over on Shabbos or Yantif and knock on the door and speak to them from outside of the window or stand at a, stand at a distance so the person is not alone for that long a period of time. Um, for a Seder, it may be more difficult. I spoke to a, an 85-year-old woman who lamented to me this is the first time in her entire life she'll be, she'll be alone for a Seder. So everything needs to be understood and taken really on a case-by-case on -case individual basis. Uh, many are making suggestions that families get together on Skype or Zoom in the afternoon before the Seder and let the grandparents hear their grandchildren sing Manishtana and sing Dayenu and Echad Miyodei or whatever, whatever else it may be. There are ways to create those kinds of connections, albeit not at the actual Seder. Um, so what I'm suggesting is that the blanket heter that was given has been rejected by 99.9% .9 of the rabbinic world. And I, I think rightfully so. I think by permitting it and allowing that, we, we would be changing the whole nature of what Shabbos and Yantiv is in our community in a way that, you know, Baruch Hashem, I mean, it's uh, our, our kids and many of our adults are, are slaves to their devices all week long. Thank God we have a Shabbos, which doesn't allow us to do that. So to change that, um, you know, would be, I think, very, very dangerous and would not be according to the halacha. Um, but if a person feels that there is real vulnerability there, that they should speak with their rabbis, speak with mental health professionals, and we can find ways to make sure that everybody feels connect, connected to and feels safe. That, uh, that comment you made about, um, thank God we have a Shabbos that we can disconnect. Uh, that was another thing that, that Jeff brought up when he, when he looked at our community is like, we don't, we don't have that. Like right. if somebody says you're going to disconnect for, for a day for, for 25 hours, like people look at you like you have, have seven eyes. Like, why right. would you do that? But the fact that everybody in the community does it, it's not, it's not weird. The other thing that I, that I've been discussing with, with my wife for one, but a lot of other people as well, is that we have a kind of a unique opportunity this year. Uh, for those of us with 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 children, with especially with little kids, where you can have them at a seder, you can you can teach them, you you can really do. We get he got it to Levincha on the night of the seder as as maybe initially intended. The kids had little, um, or at least much less instruction from school this year as to what's going on in Pesach. The sedarim are going to start much earlier, especially the first night. You can start at you, how long does it take to daven Marev by yourself? Um, already there's no going to shul and coming back from shul. It's you can really start the seder pretty early, um, and you don't have to necessarily fly through it in order to get to to the meal right away. You can actually have a little bit of time in order to talk to your kids. So I was wondering if you, if 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 there's if any advice for people who are maybe doing their own seder for the first time, maybe not doing their like leading a seder for the first time, but leading it with this few people. For the first time, and what they should, what we should really be be talking about. Oh, sure. Thank you. First of all, uh, in terms of the time for starting the seder, it has to be done after nightfall, after the time that Shabbos would have ended. 
So you can start it so you can every, everything prepare, but you have but, you, but starting before that is problematic. If you have little kids who may not stay up, it, you, you, know, you could start a little bit earlier and just you know sing some of the songs and do some of the things, but before but but the, the, you can't make kiddish before um, before nightfall. Right. So it's, it's, right. be careful about that. But the truth is, I think what you're saying is really what the obligation of the seder is, all of the time. Um, and that is that you have to speak. You know, it always struck me as funny. You would, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the things we're going to miss this year is walking into shul the first morning of Pesach, the night after the first seder, and the competition. How long was your seder? We were up till one o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. You know, it's a competition. It's funny. Uh, it's a competition both ways. ways. It's, um, oh, we finished by ten thirty. Ha! Like yeah, there's, there's two there's two different competitions that go on depending right, on who you're talking to. Right. But the, the truth is, the truth is that. The seder, the, the 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 best length of the seder, is the length that is appropriate for the people that are sitting around the table. Right. So that um, if you have a when we and when we say kol hamar reza meshubach, the more you you elaborate, the more praiseworthy it is. That has to do with the, the songs of praise to God and the, the telling the story as a way of thanking God for the miracles. But the mitzvah we got to levincha of telling your child, we don't say kol hamar reza If you have a child with a one and a half minute attention span. That's all that you have. You have a child who is more interested, so you have you have more time. Uh, the Chai Adam points out that when you sit around the table, um, you should read the Haggadah in the language people understand. So if nobody understands Hebrew, then the, the story should be told in English or whatever language the people around the table understand. It has to be appropriate for the people that are there. So if you have uh, a nuclear family of parents and young children, so it's going to be a very different kind of state. It should be a very different kind of state than uh, just some adults sitting around uh, the table by themselves or parents with, uh, with, with older children. Look, the, 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 the Haggadah tells us that there's a Tam and there's a Rasha and an Ede Elishal and a Chacham, and each one has to get the answer that's appropriate for them. I've suggested for many, many years that if all a person does is read the text of the Haggadah at the Seder, so they fulfill the obligation of singing God's praises but they don't feel the obligation of telling their children because there's no script. The parent has to know his or her child and what's appropriate for them that particular year, that particular night. And it may be that we speak to our five-year-old and then we turn and we speak to our 10-year-old and then we have a conversation with our 15-year-old because each one of them has to hear a different story. I, I will throw in a little piece of advice for those of us out there doing our own Sadarm for the first time with no uh, extended family. Usually, if you have a situation where you're switching off every year, going to this family, going to that family, you just do whatever that family says. Um, have the discussion now with with, with which minhagim you're adopting. Usually, whatever whatever side you want to take it from, but have that discussion now. My wife and I discussed which uh, nigunim we're going to be using for nirza. So don't wait until the seder night to have that conversation. You can have that now and be prepared. For those types of things. Right. So two things. Number one is you can sing Nyrtsa twice, so it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody can be happy. And secondly, I'm something a, a very wonderful idea of a way of including and feeling included in somebody else with Seder at the Seder. And that is to have the kids or the great write letters or divrei Torah to their grandparents or grandparents doing that for their kids and say, don't open this envelope until you get to I don't know, the frogs, the plagues. And then at that moment, open it up and read what that person had to share. So it oh, creates a, a sense of connectedness and a sense of belonging and a sense of presence at a time when you wouldn't otherwise have had it. Hmm. I like that a lot. Uh, any other tips for Sadarim? 
Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, could, go, I could go on and on. <laughs> we, we, we would need a separate podcast for that. I, I think so. Okay. All um, all right. So one um, question that's been going around has been a, a call for a Heter on kidney oat. And I was wondering if that's been tossed around in the RCA just because of, of a potential food shortage. I don't see that happening for the first days. Um, we had on uh, last week one of the vice presidents of Kedem, or the uh, I remember what, it, what his exact title was, uh, but Jay Booksbaum from Kedem, and he was explaining what they are doing in order to help prevent a potential sh- food shortage. But right. should there be one, let, let's say, during Kalamoid, you turn around and there's just not, not enough food available, is that something that's being discussed as a possible alternative? So we've had, we've had conversations. The, the, question has, the question has been posed. We've been assured by all the suppliers of kosher food that the kosher Pesach food that there will be no shortages. Uh, certainly, in the in the bigger cities, uh, in the bigger communities, uh, we can almost guarantee that. If somebody's in a much smaller town where it's very difficult to get supplies, you know, it may be a little bit uh, a bit harder. A- at the moment, none of none of the postcamer feel that there's the crisis. The crisis has reached a point where we need to permit kidney out. Um, if a person really does not have supplies and can't get supplies and can't be satisfied with, I don't know, potatoes and uh, everything else that, look, if you go back to the, to the time of our grandparents or great-grandparents, they had maybe one-tenth or one-twentieth of the kinds of kosher Pesach uh, foods that, that we have, and they managed, and they did, and they, <laughs> and they did very well. So, you know, kidney oat for Ashkenazim is a very strong and very important minhug. Uh, people challenge it and question it for all kinds of reasons, but there there doesn't seem to be any indication at this moment that it's something that we have to uh, permit. I think a lot of people who are listening to that answer are both very understanding and very disappointed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving moving forward, um, we already spoke about the potential ramifications about uh, minyanim. Um, I want to talk about the potential ramifications of uh, Sphera moving forward. Uh, so right after Pesach, we have Sphira, or during Pesach, but the, the, the strict halachas of, of, of Sphira start after Pesach. Um, one of the, I'll talk about two areas of that. One of the areas that parents are using, one of the, uh, uh, the tools that parents are using to keep their kids uh, engaged throughout this time are, are putting on concerts uh, for, for their children. Um, I've seen uh, Yaakov Shweki, Morty Shapiro, a lot of people have done a bunch of live concerts from their houses. Parents are putting on uh, recorded concerts that are available online that, that artists have made available. Do you think that that is something that we can continue to do throughout Sphera this year? Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a wonderful question. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a problem. Um, Rabbi Soloveitchik was of the opinion that the prohibition of, mu- of music or the, the prohibitions of Sphera in general are like the prohibitions uh, that a person has for a parent during the 12 months of mourning. The prohibition is simchas moreus. It's public celebration. So the rav would allow a person in private to listen to music, because it's not because it's, there's no prohibition of music per se, but it's it's it's, it's the public nature of it. So to for, for, for so certainly for a child who needs to be otherwise entertained, there's not a problem whatsoever. But I would argue for anybody if um, you know if, if if it's difficult and they need to be they need a distraction. And it's done in privacy because it's, that's the definition of being in quarantine or, or self-isolating. That there wouldn't be there wouldn't be a problem with that. The other interesting question that was posed with regard to haircuts. Yeah, I was going to get to that next. Yes. Yeah, so um, there, there's not a problem. There's not a problem either. Based on the rub's position, 
that um, it's like the 12 months. So when it comes to the 12 months of mourning for a parent, once, uh, once your friends tell you you look really disgusting, you need a haircut, you're permitted to do so. Um, certainly by the time the barbershops and the, and, the, and the salons are open again, everybody, need, everybody needs and can get a haircut without a, uh, with, without a problem. Yeah, I was uh, listening to a, a different podcast, not a Jewish one, um, where they said that once the businesses are open, they're going to see which uh, venue gets gets packed first, the bars or the barbershops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> are there other halachas that we have to be mindful of moving forward? I, I don't know how long this is going to be going. I don't know if there's going to be things that might impact Shavuos or, or Tisha B'Av. Like, are there things that we have to be concerned about moving forward? Look, I think we'll deal with the dialect Litsarabishata. You know, we, we deal with the crises as they as they present themselves. Um, you know, this is now the beginning of the end of March, beginning of April. Um, you know, the federal government has said we're probably gonna the month of April will probably still be in the same situation. What will happen beyond that? We're, we're, we will have to we will have to see. You know, I, I, I think that you know we're 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 creating new possibilities. Uh, my wife was involved in the area of education is now working with educators to talk about what does graduation look like now? Right. right. Because we have public rituals that people will not be able to participate in. What, is, what do we do about weddings that have been scheduled and have been pushed off? And, um, and how are they celebrated at a time, you know, if, if the couple chooses to have a small wedding with just a minion or without a minion at this point, and what kind, what's the nature of the celebration that comes, uh, that, that comes after that? My sense when it comes to Tisha B'Av, and I'm just raising, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but um, you know, fasting could make a person vulnerable. A person who is otherwise healthy, fasting could make a person vulnerable. That's a question that we would have to deal with if, God forbid, we're still in the situation when the summer comes and we have to deal with Shiva Sarbatamus and we have to deal with Tisha B'Av. But what does that, uh, what, what, what does that look like? Um, we'll have to be creative. I think we've creatively dealt with a lot of situations until now, and we'll be able to continue doing that. Um, I skipped over earlier Tainus uh, Bechorim. I'm a Bechor, so this is a, more of a personal question for me. Traditionally, we go to uh, see him on Erev Pesach. Actually, I've done it twice where I didn't have to because I was at a bris two, mm-hmm. twice in a row. That was an interesting two years. Um, but this year, our, our I, I know that there's a bunch of, of Zoom Siyumim being set up, but for those who want to be Machmer, is it better to actually fast than to go to a Zoom Siyum? No, a person, as I was saying before, a person should not fast. Um, okay. Certainly, on a, on a, this is not even a minor fast day. This is, uh, right. this this is, is less than a minor fast day. Less, less than a minor fast day. It's not healthy. It's not safe. A person needs to be hydrated. A person needs to be... Uh, so uh, I think it'll be us to do so. But there are the Pabasium on Skype or some or on Zoom is not a problem at all. And you can be yelled say that way. But Eliyahu Henkin, who was the the the, the Godel of, of America back in the 1940s, 1950s, writes that in fact it's very, very interesting. He says there's really not a there's not a minhug to fast anymore because everybody makes a seum. Right. And he suggested because of that, that if a person was not present at a seum because they were traveling or couldn't get to a seum. That they are poded, that they redeem their fast with tzedakah, and that a person should give uh, money to charity that would equal the amount of, of money that they would pay for their meals, and um, and then they would be exempt from fasting as well. Hmm. It's funny. Do you think we'll get to that point in during the nine days when people just make siyum every day, and then we 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 abolish it? No, no. I think that's I think that's still, there's no mitzvah to have meat. Um, you know, and right. people oh, yeah. uh, people like dairy and. Uh, <laughs> it's a different uh, I, don't, I don't i don't think so okay 
Um, my last question, and then I'm going to let you uh, have the last, if there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, my last question is regarding leaning. The classic case is if somebody, if, if Eretz Yisrael is ahead of Parsha and somebody comes from America or from Kutzla Arts anywhere to Eretz Yisrael and they are going to be missing a Parsha, they could lean uh, an additional one, let's say Mincha or sometime during the week to make sure that they catch the whole thing. Now we're going through weeks of not having a Parsha to lean. Uh, is there a way that we're going to be making this up as a kahila, or are we just going to continue from wherever we're up to? Right. So the, the the basic rule, the basic halacha is that there's no obligation to make it up. If God forbid you're sick one week, you're you know you're, you you miss Shabbos, you go to shul the next week, you're not making you're not making up the parsha. But the obligation of laning in shul is a chovat hatzibur. It's an obligation on the community, not on the individual. So that's that, that's that, that's number one. Shulchan Aruch talks about situations, it was interesting to me, where a fight breaks out in shul and they couldn't finish the Parsha. So the following week, they have to make up the uh, the Parsha. So oh. I guess there was more than talking that was going on uh, <laughs> and things that they had to worry about. So applying that to, to our case, Rav Schechter spoke about this at length and has written about this at length, that in fact, the obligation to make up the Parsha the second week is only when there was a zebra, when there was a minion present, and for some reason they weren't able to able to read. But if the shul is closed, there's no zebra, there's no community, there's no minion present. There's no, in that sense, there's no obligation. And so that's number one. Number two is to make up so many parshiot. How many weeks throughout to do it would be such a tircha de zebra, would be such an imposition on, on many people that unless a community was mocha, unless they said no, we want to hear the laning, and maybe there'll be special minyanim to read, I don't know, uh, four or five, 10 parshiot, um, there's no obligation no obligation to do that. However, a community can. Rav Shachter said a community doesn't even have to read all the parshiot. They can, once they read what they are obligated to read that week, they can add other, other lanings as well. So this may be an interesting um, uh, opportunity, for example, it depends on the shul as well. If you have a bar mitzvah boy who prepared a parsha, you could read the parsha of the week, and then from another Torah, read a Parsha from three weeks ago, read a Parsha from five weeks ago, read part of that Parsha, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a problem. The only question would be, which Haftarah would you read? Would you read the Haftarah of the week or the ah, Haftarah yeah. of the last Kriya? And he felt, interestingly, that just as when we take out, in general, take out two separate Torah, we always read the Haftarah from the last reading that uh, if you read, I don't know, it's, uh, let's say somebody um, uh, had their, um, you know, their Bar Mitzvah was Kitisa, and now we're already at the end of, uh, which is the middle of Shemot, and now we're already at the end of uh, Vayikra, uh, that you could read from Kitisa, but then you'd have to read the Haftarah from Kitisa and not from the Parsha of Shavuah. This, this is up to the local Orthodox rabbi and the rabbi of the right, Shul to make a determination as to what is, as to what is going to happen. Uh, as we said earlier, most of what we said today, like consult your local Orthodox rabbi. Yeah, most most certainly, most certainly. Look, we're dealing, we're fielding all kinds of shilas, all kinds of religious questions, and and the fact that our community is turning to halacha to look for structure and to look for ways to, uh, you know, to, to make their lives um, not just meaningful, but to give their lives structure and to deal with the anxiety, the uncertainty of, of of the situation by falling back to Torah is a really a very wonderful thing and speaks volumes of the of the community. So you have many questions in terms of day-to-day -day life and in terms of prayer. You have questions with regard to mikvah and how to deal with those questions. You have questions we've dealt with uh, tefillah kei when your person buys new dishes and can't take them to the mikvah or selling chametz when you can't uh, shake hands on the deal. So all kinds of wonderful questions that have been asked with regard to that. 
Um, and we're dealing with some very significant questions as well, real life and death questions. I got a call from the head of an ethics committee of a hospital somewhere out there in the in the, in the, in the VSBI looking for our position with regard to triage. People, a number of people are coming into the um, into the emergency room. Who do you deal with first? Uh, we know there's a big shortage of ventilators. Who gets who gets the ventilator first? Um, person is on a ventilator and can't, uh, and it looks like there's no hope for survival. Can that person be taken off the ventilator? Um, these are important questions. Questions of the Hever Kadisha, preparing a person properly for burial at a time when it's that the people who are going could be in could be endangered by viruses because we know that the virus continues in the person's blood a number of days after they've after they've passed away. We're putting people who are otherwise being quarantined or socially isolated at home, bring them together to perform, to perform the tahara. It's not a simple matter. What do we do about the cemetery when you can't have a minion and you can't have uh, the family and the friends participate in the burial the way we, we, we normally do? So there are real serious questions um, that our rabbis are, are, are struggling with. And I think you know there are many heroes on the front line now, people who are there to help support others and encourage others. And I'm seeing this from my niche in the RCA and dealing with rabbis who are there to help support people in, um, in pastoral ways and emotional ways and in personal ways. Uh, there are real crises out there, family crises. Look, uh, some of us are very fortunate to have very stable and, uh, and adaptive, you know, wonderfully adaptive families. Others have, have difficulties and the shalom bias issues that are, that are created, tensions between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between children themselves are exacerbated when everybody is under such anxiety and are forced to be in the same room in, a very, in, in very close quarters that they didn't necessarily have to be uh, otherwise. Issues of women who are victims of domestic violence uh, is something that our rabbis are very much aware of and we've spoken about in terms of how to offer support for them. So the, the issues are really, are really, really significant. How to be there, you mentioned this before, the person loses a loved one and hadn't seen them for a week because that person was hospitalized and now can't attend the funeral or can't, can't have the proper shiva. And the halachic issues are one thing and the emotional, personal issues are, you know, are, are not, I would, not just equally significant, but sometimes even more significant. Wow. All right. Rabbi Dretch, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if this persists, maybe we'll have you back on and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about things that have come up. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and the efforts and the, and the wonderful work that you're doing as well. Thank you. Okay, it should be a healthy and a happy and a kosher Passover. Amen. Thank you very much. My thanks to Rabbi Dretch for spending some time with us this week. Those topics that Rabbi Dretch discussed at the end, like the ethical questions that have come up, do deserve their own deep dive, but I know that these are heavier and more personal topics that I will choose to leave to remain private between those they affect and those who have to make those decisions. I'm sure other shows may delve into them, and if I hear of any, I will certainly let you know. This episode will also be our final one before Pesach, so I'd like to take this opportunity to wish all of you a Chag Kosher V'Sameach. To those of you in Chutz Laaretz, good luck with the three-day Yontif, and until we speak again after Pesach, as always, Kol Tov. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Sroli Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg from Journeys 4. You can email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Jewish underscore living. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link. <laughs>